Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. This week, we have a conversation for you with Adrian and Dan and I. We sit down and we talk about generous communication. Now, when we talk about generous communication, it's an idea that not a lot of people put words to, but meaning we believe in over-communicating in an organization as a way to make sure that we're addressing all of the things that might be underneath the table, as you've heard us talk about in previous episodes. I'm so grateful that you're here to join us for this conversation. Now let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast. I'm here with my comrades, Dan Takini and Adrian Kaler. How are you, gentlemen? Hello. Doing great. Well, doing well. Yeah. Well, uh, um, you know, topically, today we're going to talk about generous communication versus broadcasting to your teams. So uh, I'm going to practice communication with you instead of broadcast at you. Is that okay? Works. All right. We'll get an understanding of what... Chad, I've been waiting for a long time. Do you stop telling me what to do with zero regard for how I'm doing? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, I like you to tell me what to do because I'm lost. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you said it, Dan. You know, over the last couple of weeks, um, as we've been uh, up against some circumstances, unprecedented circumstances with COVID and you know, uh, how do we interact with our teams through crisis and all that kind of stuff? I think it's been fantastic to have such a topical uh, conversation. We're also coming off of three weeks of conflict resolution on the podcast. So I hope people have enjoyed that series. That's one of the more fun. It being a three point or three part series was really fun for me Mm because we got to get really, really deep. and, And I hope people enjoyed that. But welcome back to reality of COVID. All of that is applicable to COVID too, but um, there is this resource, uh, this ebook, Dan, that you wrote uh, called mm-hmm. The Change Imperative. And we've been using it as a um, as a template or a, or a tool in this time with our teams, with our clients, with each other. And there's so much goodness in here. And it really, you know, as I'm putting together the audio book, of this, which is going to be a great, fantastic tool for people as well, um, of Dan's uh, sexy voice reading this book to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just pour myself a glass of wine at yeah. night, light a couple candles, and uh, t- turn on the change imperative, and mm-hmm. it just uh, is just so great. <laughs> a little voice, the man in the background. <laughs> It's my, it's as, as Chris Voss says, it's my late night DJ voice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, as, as I was going through this, you know, um, and I was editing the, the audio book, this section, Communicate Generously, just has really stuck out to me and, and had some really amazing, resounding um, opportunities to explore, p- principles to explore. I wanted to start, if it's okay with you and you'll humor me, I wanted to start just by reading two paragraphs from this section to kind of set up our conversation today. It says, for too many people, change evokes unpleasant memories. Uncertainty of the future often causes feelings of betrayal and abandonment to surface. I thought that's so interesting. You know, there's this idea of change in our organization goes so much deeper than just the daily tasks that we're doing. Um, communicating generously. Sorry, that was my addition. That was my insert. Um, communicating generously is the willingness to go further than what you believe is adequate to educate and align people with your change initiative. Remember, people have different interests, different aspirations, and different cultural backgrounds. So communicating as many times and in many different ways, what you see as obvious gives people a good chance to join your initiative. So just as we start out, before we dive into the outline we kind of prepped for today, what sticks out to you, uh, to you two when, we, when I read that? Well, I, I wrote it because um, 
in the process of the work that I was doing, which is a lot of change management, one of the one of the biggest complaints that came back from CEOs and other leaders is basically, you know, I've already said it, I've said it, and they don't hear me, they don't listen. Um, and the point is, people are listening, like we talked about before, from many different places, and they've got a lot of different concerns going on. And when change comes up, the first thing that comes up is, gosh, are the reasons I came here for, you know, is it still going to serve what my concerns are, right? And so one of the things I end up talking to leaders about in that area is is respect, because respect actually comes from a Latin word that means specchio, means to see, to see one for who they are, or to can be concerned about other people's concerns. And if I'm, if I'm going to speak a change, and I want the change to be, I want people to participate in it, and I've got to connect it to their, I got to have them see that this change, even though it might be dis, uncomfortable and, and for the short term may not give you what you want in the long term, it's going to serve what you're up to more, better, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to, it's going to be a benefit and you've got to see how that is. Right. So continual communication ongoingly and to groups over and over again is important and to take questions and so on. Otherwise people will, drift to the to the fear of losing what they what matters to them or why they initially signed up mm-hmm. so that, that that's the reason i put that section in there is because inevitably that is a bridge that's got to be crossed because leaders get upset well you know they think they start making up that these people are resisting when they and they very well might be but they can't they're not fully hearing the message right and, and so that's part of the, that's part of the practice yeah hearing the message and then connecting it for themselves, right? Which is kind of, which is at the end of the day, what they must do is to connect it for themselves. If they're going to, you know, engage and then drive forward, that's what everybody must do. Like no one else can connect it. No one else can make anything meaningful for me. Right. I am the meaning maker for me. Um, you know, the, I don't know if it was a quote, that was from that or just what I wrote down based on what I heard, but the, the idea of like going further than you feel is necessary. Mm-hmm. That's such a big conversation, like going further than you feel is necessary. Um, you know, cause that, and I, I wrote down as you, as you're reading that, like the distinction between efficient communication and effective communication. And I think that's part of the distinction here is like, we would like, efficient communication um you know uh, and sometimes we think that efficient communication is effective communication mm-hmm. um but you know sometimes we have to give up efficiency for the sake of effectiveness and i think this is one of those contexts where it's probably true or it could be true a bunch where it's like oh actually i'm going to have to talk more i'm going to listen more and then speak more and then listen again to see if the language landed to see if the connections are happening for them to see if they heard what you said. And that is not efficient. Uh, it doesn't occur to us as efficient because we think we ought to be able to say something. They know exactly what we mean when we say it. They know what to do next based on what we think we would do if we were in their shoes, all these types of assumptions we make. Um, that, And so we, we, we land on efficiency and give up effectiveness at times is what I'm wondering for people. It's like, when do I take the shortcut thinking it's good enough? Um, yeah, it, sorry. Sort of some of the things that came up for me. Yeah, here when you're when you're saying that, what occurs to me is the bias that is naturally there, right? The bias is, hey, I look out at the world. Everybody sees the world like I do. Yep. So why would I have to repeat myself over and over again? That's yep. the number one. That's actually the first bias I think um, me, that that's mentioned in the, that book, um, conversational intelligence, is that we see the world and we think other people see it the way we do. So if they yep. don't hear it like we do, we think there's something wrong with them. So when I say communicate more than necessary, remember your body's going to feel like it's a waste of time. Yeah. You're going to believe you've said what you need to say the way you need to say it, but the evidence is going to come back and tell you, no, there's more to be said, or there's no new ways to be communicated and, and pretty hard to get creative when you think people are trying to mess with you or yeah. don't want to get on board or whatever. Yeah. 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 
Well, I think some people, I mean, even this is a live conversation in some of our clients right now where it's, there's some miscommunication or there's lots of suspicion in the relationships uh, between top leaders. And we're in the middle of those negotiations with them to get them talking to one another. Um, and, you know, they uh, they they naturally think I shouldn't have to say it again. I mean, one of the guys I'm thinking about in particular, one of my favorite guys to work with is his favorite or his you know, most frequent, which I call his favorite, go-to is I sh it shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't have to do it, right? So what that is, what that is, is, saying, is showing like his own bias and showing his own judgment for the receivers of the information. Because it's saying that if they were like me, they wouldn't need me to say this again. Yeah, it's, it's a shaming technique. You, I shouldn't have to. So yep. there must be, I mean, the unspoken is there's something wrong with you that you didn't get this. That's right. Yeah. But I'm, I'm thinking for this, for the leaders that are listening here, um, you know, we've, we say this quite a few times. I say it to almost all my clients at some point early in the relationship when they have complaints about their employees. Um, I just remind them, hey, they don't think like you and don't act like you. If they did, they'd have your job. For the most part, you know, and, you know, there there is a disconnect between the distinction between um, how they how they as the leader are seeing the world, operating the world, speaking into the world and uh, other people that are maybe younger in their process or less mature in their process or something else. Or don't have the information they have or don't have the information they have, you know, and I'm thinking for the speaker to be willing to say again what you don't want to say, what meaning must be there to even create the willingness to do it, you know? And I think um, people usually back off and don't have the conversations needed because they stop with, I shouldn't have to do this again. Uh, or even they'll communicate it a second time, but with con with condescension in their voice. Like, hey, hey, just like I said last week, guys. Hey, stupid. Yeah, exactly. Let me repeat myself. You know, when people <laughs> are more comfortable. Keep going. I know. Let me repeat myself. Just like I said last week, you know, it's like anytime people are like, repeating themselves and they're making sure that even when they do it to me, when they're making sure that I know that they said this before, you know, that's already defensive on our like Now they're doing me a favor. So, you know, even for the speaker to be willing to slow down and make sure the communication is actually happening, even for the speaker, they, I, I would suggest or invite people to try out like the connection you must have to the purpose of the communication like what's beyond the communication that is now calling me to have the communication again you know like if i don't if i don't have it what's going to happen here's what's happening right now is what's going to happen okay no one i need to i need to let me communicate this again because what's going to happen on the other side of the communication is what i'm doing it for the purpose of it and that's what's generous it's generous yeah. that you're willing to go again it's generous that you're going to put off a judgment or a fear or some kind of assessment that's going to create a, a gap between you and the person you're talking to. Yep. You know, it's generous that you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and that you, you find another way to frame or say what you're saying so yep. they can hear it. That's all generous. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, uh, really foundational thing. I think to, to understand, Dan, when we're talking about generous communication, some people may hear us saying communicate a lot. Yeah. Communicate a lot. That is not, not, that is not generosity. Yeah. That might, you might communicate more and it may feel like a lot to you, but if you're generous, it's because you are, you're giving them the benefit of the doubt. You're committed to them in some way that is beyond just you uh, getting your way, but you realize that these people have an investment and, and that their investment is a different than your investment. And they're just checking in on their investment. A lot of times they don't even know it. That's right. And That's generosity. Yeah. Generosity is there's an element of generosity of being in tune with the needs of the other. Yeah. And, and in that in the in the change imperative, I put some research in there that I got from Harvard on what happens generally in change. And it's called they use the Pareto principle and they say it's, you know, 20 percent of the people will be ready to go. And then the other 80 percent is broken down into 50 percent are on the fence. They don't, they, they'd like to go, but they don't know how it fits. And then, then you're going to have 30%. They're going to just resist the change because they don't want, they want things to stay the way they are. And so the idea is to persuade that middle group that 
those guys, the fence sitters. And that takes generosity. And in fact, generosity towards the ones who want, don't want it to change helps move the fence sitters in the direction you want to go. Mm. Right? And, and, and knowing how, how much to do that. And when that's all part of the art. It's not like you can just put some kind of formula to it. It takes you have to be generous to be in other words, you have to be willing to connect with who's there. That's also generous. Like I'm going to be here right now and not be somewhere else or not be upset because you're not where I want you to be. That kind of thing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think too, in these settings, you know, the, I'm thinking about parenting, you know, no parent kind of wants to answer the question, which one's your favorite kid. Um, <laughs> but we all have our favorite kids and <laughs> <laughs> uh, just saying um but i'm thinking in these times of change like the first 20 are usually our favorites right because they actually agree quickly they're our type of people they're future creators they're fast movers they're in they're with you they're vocal about it you know they're energetic like they seem like they're quote unquote on your team yeah and but the whole things they're all on your team there's just some you like because they agree with you and they'll follow you and they'll jump in and be creative with you and gener and you know generative with you. And then, you know, just pointing out in these moments, there's a lot of conversations going on that are probably present for us, uh, present for us consciously that have been unconsciously uh, there historically, like the ones that are slower or even the laggards behind, you know, you might not like them and you might not know why you don't like them, but this reveals the moments or the reveals the, the, one of the distinctions by which you don't, like them as much. It's like, oh, they don't follow you or they don't listen to you or they're kind of stuck in the mud or they're kind of, you know, they're 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 purely followers. And as well, leaders, we like people that are ignitable. And there's a a real danger in there because if you don't get to what's really going on, then when you make a move, it won't have much power. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you think you're if you move if I move on to the next issue or event or object pro project and i think everybody's with me but they're not then i have a rude awakening coming so it it behooves me to to locate where people are and to understand what their concerns are and to speak into them in a way that is relevant to them and to hear them and how i speak to them is going to give them the message whether i'm there to listen or not and if i don't listen then everything goes unspoken that's it goes down underneath and then it it's a low grade resistance. And I'm wondering why aren't they moving? What, what, what's, what's going on with them when it might be the way I'm engaging them is actually help positioning them in a, in a guarded stance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of dancing around this idea of resistance. We're, we're mentioning it in our relationship to the people, but the one of the things from the excerpt that I read uh, just barely one thing that's really interesting to me is, Dan, you mentioned it um, a little bit. You, you alluded to it a little bit earlier. But what we see as leaders, what we see as resistance to the change, like to the actual change we're implementing into our organization, uh, might not be resistance to the change. It might be uh, other things that come up for our people, or it might be, hey, I signed up for one thing and I'm what I'm making up is that this new thing isn't going to look like what I signed up for. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so, yes, that, that comes across as resistance, but we won't know what the resistance is about until we're willing to be generous with our time and our communication and be with our people to actually mm -hmm. understand what the resistance is all about. To get in, to get, listen to the specific concerns, right? Yeah. We always, the tendency is to want to go to the higher, level but we got to chunk down how that hey this is going to be good for everybody well how right and let's take the time to understand and speak that in a way that people can catch up with it and people start to move right the 20 percent can help with that right and then yeah and and conflict open conflict is good because people get a chance to see how you deal with it and how you line it up with where you want to go but with the vision basically. yeah well, I see. I just see the the leader, the conductor, just shoveling coal into the engine, you know. And that's we're going somewhere. Who wants to go back into the back and make sure that everybody in the coach is okay, right? All the cars are connected. Right. <laughs> might be the engine. Might be the only thing going. 
<laughs> going really fast. It feels great when you look back and go, oh, That's hell, the momentum here. Now I know why it's going fast. Nobody's with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, um, how do we how do we inquire to the resistance? We, as we feel it, as we see it, our natural inclination might be to just keep shoveling the coal into the engine. But you know, what is how do we take that sign? What's the best way to slow down and go and connect with the people that need to be connected with at that moment? Because they're the ones that are going to keep the change from from being implemented. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe a, a couple of lines on what even resistance is. Yeah, please. Uh, you know, at least for, for me, what resi- when I know I'm resisting, um, and usually for me, I'm either judging or avoiding. Um, so that's the question for me. What I'm resisting in my life, what am I judging? And, and I judge to stay away from it. Or what am I avoiding? And all those things are like heavy weights I'm throwing on my shoulders. I feel it as weight. And when I feel the weight psychologically, usually when I feel like I'm overwhelmed, I feel like my bandwidth's tight. I feel like I'm I'm tight, like I get anxious because I'm usually carrying around and there, there's things that I'm avoiding or judging. So that there's at least a couple. Do you guys have any other language around like what was how resistance shows up? Yeah, it's usually shows up I'm, to what your point is. Not it, it, what I related to as well. The conversation I don't want to have, that's the one I need to have first. Yeah. That, that's where the resistance is. So what does that mean? Well, it means I, I probably have certain assessments about it. I've got fears and concerns about it. Yeah. So how can I go in there and see what's really there that's and right. then connect that, right? Yeah. And, and I, I, just that, I just did that this morning with you, Dan. Got like eight minutes before I was picking up the kids and, and wanted to have this, there's this broader conversation we've got going on inside the company around a problem to solve. And I thought, and I was telling myself, ah, eight minutes isn't enough. And I was assuming some of your resistance to it. And da, da, da. I'm all in this, this big story about what's going to happen. And then I, I just, right. And then you're right. And then I just thought, uh, a good life is doing what you don't want to do. That's right. That's what I told myself. And I pulled the car over and I saw your name and I pushed it. Right. So it's like doing what I don't want to do, noticing the resistance. I actually want what's on the other side of it, but I don't want, or I'm, you know, what I'm assuming about the conversation, uh, even that our conversation together and the, com- the conversation that will happen afterwards, I'm resisting both of those things. And then I just got to put my, we always say like, put my face right in it, just jump in. You know, it's like you're jumping off the sky, off the high dive. Um, just a silly example, but just to illuminate for folks, when we talk about resistance, it's like, what do you find yourself pausing about? It was funny because I knew you were going to do it because I remember we got off the phone. I went, well, I, I didn't handle that too well. He probably thinks I'm resistant. And so when you brought it up today, I went, okay, good, because I thought about it overnight. And so it was great because we kind of went. Were great. Yeah, you were great. Yeah. You were great. You know, and even, yeah. And I was doing play by play with Allie about how my conversation with you was going to go. And it didn't go like that at all. <laughs> so, and so, okay. So when we notice part of this point is, I know for me, when I have any enemies in my life, and I use that strong language um, because they occur to me as enemies, and I'm thinking at this moment about my children, um, like, uh, like when I have any enemies in my life, I need to notice because usually like they're resisting me and then I'm resisting their resistance. Yeah. So it's easy to you know use a, use a parenting example. Um, it's like they're not essentially, or you could use it in a play. They're not doing what I want. And now I'm mad about them not doing what I want. So now all of a sudden they're resisting the vision. If we're talking about employees or as a parent, you get it. They're not doing what I want. And now I'm mad at them for not doing what I want. All of a sudden now I'm resisting their resistance. And, you know, and I, as soon as I, if I'm willing to see that, because I, I, I'm the one that knows that that's happening. They see my, they see, you know, my anger or frustration. Um, but I, I'm in control of my own resist. Like, am I resisting their resistance? That's where I go first. Or am I engaging it? Mm-hmm. Because whomever we're talking about, uh, let's talk about an employee. If an employee is not doing what they've said they're going to do, we can either be offended, we can judge them, or we can engage. You know, because there's something we always say, like, um, like in our work, we build our work with clients around their word, around their promise, around what they say is going to happen. And part of the reason we, there's lots of reasons we do that. Neurologically, that's actually how the world works. But beyond that is we know, I know that if, if a client has broken a commitment to me, that they, what we always say is like a broken commitment is a cry for help. 
Now that now that isn't resisting. That's actually engaging. Like if they've lied to me, and that's strong language, but that's what happened. They said they were going to do something and didn't do it. No, and I can resist that or judge that. Like oh. There she goes again, or there he goes again. Look what's wrong with him. I can go there. That's where most people go because that's the easiest place to go because it's moral. I got the moral high ground now. But instead, I can see their broken promise or their resistance as a cry for help. If that if I, that occurs to me, that that is them screaming out, needing some help. And, and that isn't that isn't paternal. It's not like I'm better than. Um, it's like really now I can be of service. I see their resistance as a place that needs to be served. Um, and then I'm not resisting it. I'm actually engaging it. And it's like, hey, I see this. You said this was going to happen. And I that didn't happen. You know, what's going on? How are you? Yeah. It's interesting because the it's like you have peace. What did I hear you describing? You have peace enough to engage them. And it's interesting because the, the, in the Middle East, the definition of the peace, peace is having your knee in your enemy's neck. And in this case, it was it's meant internally. Like, can I put the knee in my in the judgment I have of the person? Because if you're a coach and you've got a client and you keep gathering evidence about how they are and they become fixed, then you're not going to believe they can accomplish what they're committed to because you're going to think that they're limited based on the fixedness you've put them into. So if I can get my knee in the neck of my judgment and get curious, then I open up, then I can champion them yeah. because I'm, I'm what I'm doing is I'm the self-control. I'm 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 holding back my need to judge them so I feel safer because quite frankly, they might be high variant, right? They're they're one way, one way, one another, and that's hard to deal with. And and it's and it gets very disruptive when you're trying to get something done. Right. So being able to deal with that requires that flexibility. And I know I can be positioned as and I can be flexible. And I can have an opinion of them and still challenge the opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I can still do that. Yeah. That's um, Adrian. You asked what other ways do, does resistance show up? I, I notice in myself and, and in my clients that I coach that oftentimes resistance shows up as confusion. Mm -hmm. Like uh, if I'm, if I'm wanting to dig and massage into something that they don't want to go, they don't want to touch. A lot of times I don't know shows up. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if that were true, <laughs> you know, if, if this, if, if, if what you're making up about this situation were true, what would that mean? What would you notice about that? Oh, I don't know. And that to me, that's, that's great. I always tell them, Oh, now we're getting somewhere. The minute I get to the, I don't know. Now I know we've touched something. Mm -hmm. Now I know where resistance is, is, you know, a little bit of this resistance is, is where we can dig into that. So that's another interesting place to find resistance. If your people are acting confused, if they're not involved, if they're checked out, that could be an idea that, Hey, this, there might be some resistance here to what's going on. Yeah. There's yeah, a, I mean, with just to, to add to that, you know, in our work, you know, we will usually say something like, well, if you did know, what would it be? Right. Uh, the you know, one of the the helpful things, I think, for in that moment. Right. If you right. If you have that language, you don't talk like weird like I talk. Um, then, you know, might just when they get to the I don't know, we'll say, hey, would you would you like to find out? Would you like to know? Mm -hmm. so, then I'll say, OK, well, then let's let's talk about what some options are. What could it be? You know, let's give let's give 10 you know, wrong answers first. Well, I'm sure we'll get to a right one in a second. You know, that's, again, generous because you could like resist the I don't know. Um, or you could like op open it up wider. And, you yeah. know, invite them through the gate they don't want to go through. Yeah. Um, on our live feed here, Ed, Ed Heidegger asks, what is the sensory component of resistance? The sensory good old Ed. Asking great questions. That's a great question, Ed. What is it? I, I, I don't. Know. Let's speculate. What do you say, Adrian? I don't know what the, the question. Is. I don't understand the question either. Yeah, like sensory. Do you mean like physical sensory? What does this mean? Yeah, yeah, I love it. If he gives us some clarification, we'll bring it back up and answer it. That's great. So, um, so we're talking about you know identifying the resistance. Oh, I like that Star Wars reference. The resistance. Um, <laughs> I love that question. I mean, I'd love to know what I know. I just need I, to know what century. 
I think he means one of our senses, right? Was it feel like? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, you know, yeah. I, I know. And I mean, I'm assuming that's what he means. And for me, it, it shows up like um, dogmatic. I, I, I start to reinforce my point of view mm. instead of get curious about what's being said. That's I'm imagining that's what it was talking about. Right. He, he clarified, says, how does one recognize they are in resistance? For me, yeah. I, I yeah, like you were saying, Dan, I start to notice that I'm proving. Yeah, I find I start building a case on the other per, on on their point of view and then on them personally, right? I can't. Yeah. Or, or I, you know, it's like another way I would say it is, I'm not willing to be open, which means I'm not willing to listen for what I prefer not to hear. Is how yeah. I would when I start to, I can't hear what they say, I can't receive it and just consider it. Then I'm in resistance. That, mm -hmm. That's that's one of the first indicators to me is I'm. That and then it shows up like, and I, I'm always there first. I mean, I feel it first, and then I have to process it. That's so, right. Yeah. Thanks. That's a great question, man. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. I, know, I know for me, I think what just affirms what you guys are saying. Uh, an easy one for me is, you know, when I'm arguing with someone when they're not in the room. You know, that's a good indicator for me. Like, when, when am I? When am I still? Fighting the battle. You guys know that. Sometimes you have dreams. Yeah. I know. Sometimes I have dreams. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes well, we, we probably argued with each other overnight. At exactly. least a few times. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you, I have dreams like that where I'm like playing the same scenario over and over again, like 20 times. And, and you know, I'm like the choose your own adventure character in the in the dream. But it happens in conversations as well. Like when I had a com like to say I had a conversation with somebody. Um, and we've talked to you before about how Dan and I, I do this with Dan sometimes. Like if I'm having a conversation with Dan. And like, let's say it doesn't go the way I wanted it to go, or I didn't like how he was, or I didn't like, you know, or I chickened out and I'm now I'm now we're off the phone call and I'm still having the conversation and like replaying it, how I would, you know, and it could be like, what was wrong with him and why he doesn't understand about me, blah, 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 or how, what I could have said or what I should have said, or that would have been the thing I could have did all this, you know, those are, uh, illuminates resistance for me. When am I? talking with someone without giving them the benefit of being in the conversation. Or when we're resisting having the conversation, right? It's pre-conversation with the other person and the other person's already living inside your head in this conversation. I was in a coaching call the, uh, probably two weeks ago and we're walking, I'm walking through this business owner. Uh, we're walking through this conversation that he wants to have with one of his people. And it's going to be a difficult conversation. He's making up that it's going to be a very difficult conversation. And it's a conversation that's been begging to be had for months and months and months. Yeah. And as we're talking, I said, he's Hey man, it, right. So he's already resisted it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely right. And I said, well, how many times have you had this conversation in your head? already and he just started laughing just yeah. like he's like it's every day man it's i have day, multiple man. times a day every single day right well, yeah. it, it reminds me of uh, one of the things i remind myself when i get resistant is that the meaning of the communications in me the listener right if i'm listening to you and i'm resisting what you're saying the meaning is over here so i need to work with this and but i want to work with you mm -hmm. right because <laughs> You know that, and I've got. To, if I don't remember that, I, I, I'm usually at effect of what's being said. I'm going to engage you like you're the problem. And when I get a hold of it, well, then I'm okay. I can listen to what you say, even if you, what you say completely disagrees and com conflicts with what I'm saying. Yeah, I can be with it, I, and I can still hold my point of view, and I can understand the differences and the distinctions and like that. So I think knowing that that. That helps me knowing that I'm putting the meaning on this communication that's coming my direction. You know, and it's not common vernacular in our culture today, but it's it's it it comes up for me now, like the word confess. And I'm I'm th I'm thinking about how powerful it would be if I've been avoiding a conversation for two months, let's say, with a person. Is if I started off because usually what happens is this, right? Like we avoid it for two months. We wait till we get our ducks in a row. We get our argument clear. We come in hot, right? We're ready to say it. And we're not ready to have it. We're, we're still not re willing to have the conversation. We're now we're ready to have a broadcast about 
and we're amped up and we're finally having it and we're pissed at, we act like we're pissed at that person, but actually we also, if you're a responsible leader, you're also pissed at yourself because why would I avoid this for two months? You know, it's like, at least that's the way it is for me. If I've been resisting something and I finally am willing to do it, I come in hot. It's like the antithesis of shame. Now it's hyper productivity. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's contempt. Yeah. Yeah. It's the third kind of shame. Yeah. So the, my thought here is, you know, to confess on the front end, because it'd be powerful to say, hey, you know what? I want to have a conversation with you that I've been avoiding for two months. And here's why I've been avoiding it. Here's what I've been making up about you. Here's what I've been willing to tolerate for me. And so I'm coming in pretty hot based on a handful of those things. Uh, but I just need to start. This is a conversation I knew I needed to have 60 days ago, and I've been a chicken. And here's what I want to talk about. Now, most folks won't have that type of conversation, but imagine what the conversation then could be if I come in as the leader saying, hey, I've been avoiding for 60 days, and here's the conversation I've been avoiding. Like to start with a confession. It takes a lot of guts to do that. I think it would create really till up the soil and like show your humanity up front and like take off the mantle of authority for a second and show the humanity. Um, like a lot of more resource could happen in the conversation. Got, got, you know, Gottman, the researcher, uh, clinical therapist who does that you know, groundbreaking stuff with couples. Uh, and he's done a lot of study in his lab to watch couples. And he says the number one issue in resolving any conflict is how it's brought, right? And that kind of transparency really is an invitation for the other person to bring what they've got. Yep. Like it could be there. And then you're starting from where you really are, not from somewhere you think you ought to be. Yeah. You know, like that's like, how do we locate where we really are? So when we do move, we move with some power and that requires that, that willingness to be transparent. And I, what just occurred to me when you said that was how inviting that was. Yeah. It was an inviting way to take up an issue that we have a difference on. And I sense that you're coming in good faith because you've already owned what a lot of what you've contributed to the the breakdown between us over the last couple of months. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's a real de- It's a, it's an authentic or congruent or coherent invitation to enter the conversation with you. I know my defense is I didn't have any up, but I, you know, it was like, Oh wow, I'm relaxed. I, I, I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to be more apt to say to you what I have to say. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, I think, been, been a principle for me. I, I think I, may, I might have gotten it. I mean, there's a there's a core principle, I think, that my mama told me, if my mom's watching, hey, mom. Um, is like, you, you, I grew up hearing, like, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. And part of this here, I think that's the example is, um, you know, as a leader, am I willing to give what I want to get, right? Because if you're going to have that tough conversation, what you want is for them to account for what's not working, right? You can go give them a directive if you want, but that's all. That's avoiding the conversation. You want for them. You want to find out what's been in the way for them about why they haven't produced like they said they would, or like what's needed for the vision or whatever. That's what you want is is an is an honest accounting. And as a leader, if you're willing to give your own honest account on the front end, like because then you're like modeling it, right? And you're willing. And what you're doing in that moment is like putting down my own ego and how I want to look to myself and how I want to look to you for the sake of the vision, because we we need to be partnered to make this happen. But I'll have to give up something. I have to I literally have to sacrifice if I do this well. That's what I'm asserting. If I do this well, I'll sacrifice my own ego and how I look in my own eyes, how I might look to you um, for the sake of the conversation. And, you know, as a leader, I think if you're willing to do that first. Um, you know, that is a powerful, to your point, Dan, a powerful invitation for them to reciprocate. And like it's it's people love to talk about safety. We don't get off on safety like other people as much. We'd rather have the dangerous conversation because that's where the gold usually is. But that it does provide like a camaraderie, which ends up having safety. Generated immediate trust. But that's now right. thinking about um, what Eric Weinstein said in his one of the video I sent you guys. You know, he, he talks about the intellectual dark web but he says one of the there's so many different minds of different points of view that get along and kind of, they think very differently about everything and one of the things i thought was really powerful was that the conversation was never about the conclusion but about just having the conversation in, 
the way we have the conversation so that we can look into the many different ways to see something. Right. And that, that was more important than whatever conclusions we may have drawn from that. Yeah. And then our conclusions weren't what we are really championing for in the conversation. We're looking for new insights that we could be blinded to because of what we believe we know. Yeah. That, that's a really beautiful uh, statement. And today is a time when that's probably more needed than any other time in corporate in the corporate world, but also society-wise, I mean, socially. Yeah, I'm, you know, the one of the examples come, that comes to my mind um, that I rarely find a leader that, that's having, that's actively having this conversation before they, uh, the two of us talk about it, is when we start talking about meetings, this is the things that comes to mind, is like how, every, like there's a routine complaint about how, waste how much of a waste of time meetings are or how we don't get things done in meetings and i think as a leader if you ever have that thought about you don't want to go to a meeting that that might be feedback about a conversation that you're avoiding where you could be generous like you know because if people are checked out in your meetings it's saying something about the meeting <laughs> they don't want to be there and you know most people then are going to judge the person in the seat for being on their phone or taking the conversation someplace crazy or not drawing to conclusions. But routinely, we won't stop and say, hey, here's what I'm noticing about our meetings. What are you guys noticing about our meetings? We won't usually ask that because it's my meeting. I'm running it. <laughs> I've been running it the same way for a year and a half, and we've hated it for you know, 17 of the last 18 months. We've hated it, but I've not been willing to have a conversation about the context of how we are together. And what it could be that would make us want to come to the meeting. So that's a great point. That's a great point. Like, what's the conversation you've been unwilling to have? Yep. That's a great yep. question. Yeah, I think you know what we're doing essentially is we're starting to outline or have been outlining what generous communication is or how how can it look. There's some high points that we've hit. Um, that you know, it's it's definitely um generous meaning not what you think the need is, but being in tune with what the need actually is with your people. Yeah. Um, you know, Adrian, what you were just talking about also the, it's ongoing. It's not just once we've really talked about that. Like this, this is an, a continued conversation, a, a continued check-in. Um, one of the points that we've touched on, but, but I'd love to hear more about from you guys is that, um, this communication often looks obvious to the leader. Why does it look obvious to the leader? And it may not even be on the radar of those who are on their team. Well, the leader, has, the leader has an agenda and the agenda, right? The aim. Uh, so anytime we take aim at something, it produces a hierarchy of concerns. So the leader's coming in with some aim that mm -hmm. the others may not even have yet. So his hierarchy of concerns are more evident to him to meet that aim than it is for his participants because they haven't they don't know what he's aiming at. They're aiming yeah. at something else, maybe what he was aiming at a month ago or mm -hmm. a week ago or a year ago, right? So when you shift the aim, you're naturally going to shift the, the hierarchy of concerns. And we often don't think about that. We don't think about the hierarchy of concerns that are going to shift, and that's what's going to hook people. Right. And then we, because we're so clear about our aim, we're perturbed with the fact that they're still working with, well, what does this mean? Because when I look over here, it looks like a different set of concerns. Does that really going to benefit me? Is that going to work for me? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the last thing we want to hear if we're, if we're trying to get on with it. Right. Yeah. I was, I was, I've been the last two calls with this one leader that I love. Um, he's been having a hard time with one of the teams he's working with. He'd rather not work with this team. He'd rather be able to do this on his own, um, but he needs them. Um, and the org, the org chart calls for him to resource this team. And there's just resistance on both sides uh, that neither one of them want to work. They don't want to work with him. He doesn't want to work with them. That is what, that is the essence of the relationship is we don't want to be here when we show up together. We don't want to be here. Right. So obviously it's not that productive. Um, and a lot of we've been talking through and he gets it. He'll be in a conversation. He says, oh, I know I'm just here to bitch about this stuff. Right. He gets the fact that he's here. He's at times he's there complaining and I'm and I'm, I'm listening and then getting it back to what he's aiming at. And 
at the end of the last call, I said, well, you know, maybe it's time for you to sit down with them and talk about, because for him, the, cap the, the point of the exercise of what they're trying to accomplish is very clear. And he's a pretty logistic, he's an analytical type thinker. And so he's clear about it and it's rolls off his tongue so fast, no problem. But the activity on the other side is so distinct, they're actually participating very differently, which always makes me wonder that conversation, Dan, around aim. What are they aiming at? So I said to him, this was interesting. I said to him, well, maybe it's time for you guys to sit down and talk about what success looks like. And he said, I'm not willing to talk about it. Of course, it's the KPIs. And you know what? That makes sense. For him, it's the KPIs because it is so black and white. They're out to do this thing and it's the KPIs. But the unwillingness to wonder how far off they are. Yeah. How misaligned they are. Well, and, and the different, there's only so many, like there's, you know, logic trees that fall off of something. And just be willing to go down those different trees of logic to try to understand the, the, a much broader scope of what's happening can be very irritating to somebody who's already on the way and doesn't want to slow down, right? They're yeah. already gone. They're already, yeah. right? And that, that I think is a lot of our job is, okay, let's, can we just time out for five seconds? Can we slow down to go faster? Yeah. yeah. Just, like, what you're what, referencing, Adrian, is recasting the vision. Yeah. yeah. Like how, how many times we got to talk about this? This is what we're up to. Yeah. Yeah. And right. the answer to that's as many times as necessary. That's right. Well, and, you know, there's so much stuff here as I'm thinking about it, but what to say? I mean, there's uh, there's so many distinctions in that specific example that I think people are swimming in that they don't know they're swimming in, right? So if you're naturally analytical, you might not have room for the for the naturally creative people. You know, and what he is, what this person is probably making up, that if I brought this up, they're going to resist like this and I don't want to deal with that. So I'd rather take my sledgehammer to the conversation. Yes. Because I already know what they're going to say. Just think about it. If you're listening to this. Think about how many times you avoid a conversation because you've already decided what they're going to say before the other person actually gets to say anything. Right. And so we're so we're already resisting what we're predicting, what somebody else is going to do. And, you know, and that's our, that's our own grave. But that's what I point out is like, actually, then I am creating the resistance that might or might not be there. And so now I'm already making it. We talk about efficient communication, like people want efficient. That is inefficient communication because I've actually already, you know, I, I, a civil engineering uh, example comes to mind. Like, hey, this is a road I need to go down and I have put the dead end already in the road instead of wondering what it yeah. takes to open the road up. Yeah. I just well, have I think a conversation. You know, I think Eileen hit it in our interview with her. She and she, I hear her a lot when she works with coaches to think that the person you're talking to is in the same place that they were the last time you talked to them is not generous. Yeah, generous yes. generosity is realizing they're just like me and you. They're just that we are conversation, so we tend to shift. And so, what conversation is that person in right now? Let's start there and then move to where we're committed to going. And yep. so I'm locating the person, right? Yeah. And that assumption, that assumption, I think, is in all of us. That hey, the last time I talked to Adrian, he was here, and so I'm going to start talking to him as if he's still there. Yep. Yeah. And this, um, I see the generosity uh, reciprocating and kind of contagious within the team. At least for me, in my experience, on our team, yeah, I'm inspired by when I, when I'm on a project with either of you or both of you or the whole team and you're generous with me and checking in, Hey, where are we at with this? Where are you, are you still thinking the same thing? Are we, you know, just this, this willingness to relocate me almost every time that in return makes me want to do the same thing with my people. Yeah. For those who are working, you know, those who I have stewardship over are working on the projects with me. It 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 in return allows me to slow down and say, wow, if I've if I'm here or was there last week and now here, I wonder where my people are. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you got two weeks, then think about if you talk to your client every two weeks, then it's even longer, right? Yeah. People come 
That's why I ask them. I ask my clients to send two days before to send me what agenda they'd like to talk about to see, you know, because that gives me a better sense of where they are now. And then I check in again when we get in the call and sometimes they'll alter it. Right. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, as we, I, I just, as we start to wind down here, I think thinking about this idea of generosity and I didn't, even when I wrote the outline for this conversation today, I wasn't thinking so specifically about the word generosity and and generous, and and that's been a huge gift to me in this conversation. Very eye opening, um, and thinking through what does it mean to be generous? Who have I? Who in my life has been generous to me? Yep. What did that look like? What? How did I experience that generosity? What is it that they did that allowed me to understand and and experience generosity from then? And then how can I take that? And apply it to my interactions with my clients and those who work with me and, you know, and you too. And um, man, that's just for me, that's been a big eye opener and a, and a huge gift for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, a big distinction for me is like it, at the core of the generosity conversation is who am I communicating for? Am I communicating for me or for them? And if I'm if I'm doing it for them then I show up so differently than if I'm doing it for me. Like I want to get something off my chest. I want to say this because I'm scared. I want to say this because I don't think it's going to happen. I want to say, you know, anything that's like purely self-seeking or narcissistic, then that, then, you know, that's a very different conversation. And they feel that versus I'm actually doing it for them. And as a leader, when you're communicating for others, you're investing in the future of the entity you love. Yeah. Yeah, so, it, you know, all these we, we think I think we underestimate. We all know. We, I think we all know this. You can look back in your life around when a leader looked you in the eye and had the conversation you needed. When they said something for you because they believed in you or they even helped you see something that you didn't want to see and you oh. didn't die. You actually grew and you remember that conversation 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Oh, they, right. Just, when I was a kid, I'll never forget. My, I had this yo-yo. He just triggered this. And I, you know, loved it. And I had a best friend and his name was Kevin. So I gave him the yo-yo. And and about two weeks later, he betrayed me. So I beat him up and took my yo-yo back. And, and uh, so my dad, his mother comes down and talks to my father. And then my dad says, hey, I, mean, I want to talk to you out on the porch. Saturday afternoon, beautiful morning, rather. Kind of, you know, California sun, the whole deal. And he sits me down and he goes, Tell me what happened with Kevin. So I tell him the whole story about how Kevin was a dick and I loved him and I gave him this and then he betrayed me and I took it back and I beat him up because he just was such a dick. And uh, so he goes, okay, good. Thanks, Dan. Now tell me the story from Kevin's perspective. He actually, he, and I told, I was really pissed, right? And it took about 10 minutes before I told the first version. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, I'm not leaving until you tell me from Kevin's, we're going to sit here. I got the afternoon. And I was getting hot and sweaty and, and I'm pissed off at him because it felt like betrayal. Right. Yeah. Like, he's on Kevin's side. You yeah. know, that's all these thoughts went through my head. And finally I tell the story. He made me tell it three times till I could. And then I, I got, when he's done, he goes, great. Thanks. That was all. I got up and went down to Kevin's house and gave him his yo-yo back. Cause I could see how I just did to him what I didn't want him to do to me and reconcile the relationship. And he didn't say a word about doing any of that. Yeah. That just yeah. out of the conversation, but you made me think about that when you that just triggered it. Yeah, like I mean, I I, we, I don't know if we use the word empathy very powerfully. I think that's kind of from my experience is like empathy is the new vogue word for you know uh, hyper honoring feelings. Sorry, welcome to my cynicism. Um, <laughs> but the, the power is, but here's the power, right? The power is. If I wonder, at least for a second, especially if you're a leader, right? Because the power is so invisible to us. And like, I think a position is so invisible to us at times, right? We don't get what it's like for somebody else to be in a relationship with me when I represent power. If I'm running the company, I represent a bunch to them. You know, there's like a lot, there's, there's a power differential in the conversation all the time, always there. Either it could be amped up or really low, but either way, it's always there. But as a, as a, to, I guess, make this connection. It's like, if I wonder for a second, 
about what it's like to be them. And we might not have been them for 20 years and we've been doing this for a long time. You've been running a company for 10, 15 years or whatever, just to wonder what it's like to be a new employee at your company. Or to wonder what it's like to go into the CEO's office, to wonder what it's like to re-remember what it was like, right? Yeah. That you're just, you know, because when you wondered what it was like to be Kevin, you cared for that kid. And I got in touch with his concerns, right? Yeah. It's like uh, being concerned about somebody else's concern is respect. And it's a, a form of love, right? It's like, But it, I, it was really weird. I'll never forget it. My dad never told me to do anything like that. And I yeah. just went and did it because it occurred to me yeah. like the thing to do. That's what I'd want done. I realized I did wrong, right? Mm -hmm. At least I wouldn't want that done to me. Yeah. 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 And this isn't, I mean... I don't know. The point here uh, that comes to mind naturally is because I, I hear sometimes the cynicism with my type A driven leaders. They don't want to approach kind of the softer stuff. Um, you know, like that that's an arena that they fear for a handful of reasons. One is what they make up about how long it's going to take to have a conversation. Um, <laughs> you know, but what I want to what I'll invite people to say is like this type of connection we're talking about that comes out of generosity is fuel for the engine. For anything, this is the fuel for the engine. Like, how much do they trust me? How much do they want to hear from me? Which is different than how much will they listen and do what I say? Like, how much do they trust me and how much do they want to hear from me? How much do they want my insight on what they're doing? How much do they want to hear my stories? How much do they want whenever they pull a meeting together at all hands, they want to be there? You know, because if 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 that if those quotients go up in a culture. That's just that that breeds communication, breeds generosity, breeds grace with one another. It breeds understanding. It breeds a will. It's just so many positive things that come out of slowing down and being willing to have these types of conversations. It's not soft. It's fuel. Yeah. Well, if you're not willing, if you put it in their terms, if you're not willing to do the soft things then get ready to make it harder, because it's going to be hard. Yeah. You're going to find yourself. You're going to be hitting the invisible wall and you won't even know what's there and why. Right. And then you're going to be surprised at who you find out, you know, when you find out who's been holding back and who's been resisting. And Yeah. So, well, and the idea, the idea that there are soft things and hard things and those are separate uh, in an organization is also a funny idea to explore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More like invisible things, invisible things. That's yeah. Right. That's for me. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. But like, none of us are widgets. That's what comes up to mind for me. I think when when we make things analytical and it's just these tasks we're doing and just whatever we like, we it just our our motivations and our and our feelings are sometimes really invisible to us. And yeah. so therefore we judge them in other people. But they're there for us. You know, like the example I was talking about earlier about my clients desire to make it about KPIs and not exploring where somebody else like what was motivating them. He's just he's really connected, crystal clear, gets motivation from drives with the KPIs. He forgets how emotionally connected he is to the outcomes. It seems hard to him, but it's actually really soft if he's connected to it, you know? Yep. Yep. Well, it's been great. Lots of good stuff in here. Great conversation. Thanks so much, gentlemen, yep. for, for coming. Thank you. Again, love working with you. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. Thanks for everybody. Thanks to everybody who's listening and joining us on these lives. This is fun. It's fun to get some of the interaction. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Ed Heidegger. We appreciate your question. Yeah, that's right. Hello. Well, and I, I will point out, Adrian, your mom did make an appearance here. Hey, all right. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. <laughs> Andy, oh. coming from Southern Illinois. We're straight from Southern Illinois. Have a great day, guys. All right. See ya. Bye. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. Also, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing this podcast with the people in your life that are looking for a new way to lead and to relate to others. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.